0: Seeing is believing, and I have no proof of what I saw that day other than what I can describe. It was huge. It was like the weightlifter of cats.
1: I think he's seen a black leopard, no doubt about it. He's just a guy taking his dogs for a walk, who's bumped into something that he can't explain and wants to tell people without being mocked about it. Welcome to Big Cat
2: Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Hello, and welcome to episode 32 of Big Cat Conversations. We're coming to you in early September 2020, if you're listening on schedule, so I hope everyone's managed to have some kind of summer break. We are speaking with an author of a new book on Black Panthers in Britain in this episode, and we'll hear about the background to the book and the sighting that sparked the idea. So our guest is David Anthony Starkey, and David joins us from the next county west to me, which is Herefordshire. David, we're going to speak all about the book mainly, but of course there was a sighting which sparked the interest in the subject. So before you had the sighting, did you know anything about Big Cats being possibly in Britain anywhere?
1: No, I didn't. When I first started working in that area, I had heard whispers of it, but it was something completely new to me.
2: The book's set in South Wales, and the sighting was in South Wales. Is that right? Could you tell us
1: about it? Yeah, it's... The Affen Forest, which is north of Swansea, heading towards the uh, Brecon Beacons, that area. It's quite popular now for mountain biking and that sort of thing. It's quite contrasting. You get the vast swathes of the you know, upper reaches towards the Brecon, and then you get your deep valleys, very wooded areas as well. And then you get your forestry managed areas within all that.
2: And you were working there at the time, weren't
1: you? That's right, yeah. It was a, a gas pipeline job I was working on from a place called Tonner Mountain, where the main gas pipeline runs sort of east-west. There was a new power station being built on the coast, so we ran a new pipeline from up uh, Tonner Mountain all the way about 13 kilometres, I think it was, across all the countryside and down to the power station. It was about two years, and it was around about the time of Foot and Mouth as well, just after Foot and Mouth.
2: Yeah, so what happened? What did you see?
1: It's as described in the book, really, February-March time, it was getting dark. It was late afternoon, early evening. Travelling back from one of the sites where we are doing some excavations, it was with the farmer as well, who had a problem with the land, which came to a dead stop at the bottom of a field. Light was really poor. The uh, rain was lashing down, but there was an obvious figure walking along the hedge line very, very sort of purposefully. And straight away, I was like, what's that? And the guy was saying that's a panther. (laughs) And I was completely shocked. It was a fleeting glimpse. It was probably one or two seconds of it walking along, and then it just disappeared. But what struck both of us, I think, was as it turned, it was a reflection of the eyes. Mm -hmm. It was that momentary reflection from the car's headlights. And then before you know it, it was gone. Yeah, it was very fleeting, but we both saw it.
2: Yeah. Did you see any form to make out,
1: it was the long, low tail that straight away I thought, that's different, that's that's not a dog, and it was a way, it was sort of loping along almost. Just before that, we uh, disturbed some sheep which had gone through the hedge line further up, and it was going in the opposite direction as well, which sort of threw me a bit because something was, you know, your eyes drawn to certain things, especially in low light, and it was drawn to the sheep movement, and then to see something coming in the opposite direction, completely different shape. It couldn't have been anything else. It was quite a distinct outline, if you like. Yes. What sort of scale? Large dog scale, um, and that's what I first said. I said it's, it's like a large dog, and but I knew it wasn't. And when the fella, I'm not going to mention his name, <laughs> because I used a different name in the book as well for him. He straight away he confirmed that it was a panther, and they had been seen and noted in this area, and that's where the conversation continued on the way back that they'd seen evidence of the animals.
2: Okay, he'd had previous sightings, hadn't he?
1: He said he'd seen them about these parts. Those were his words, and those are the words I used in the book as well. And he elaborated on why they were there, and explained the the history of why they were in the area. And he alluded to the fact that they were perhaps released in the 70s by people who had had them as pets and with the animal acts changing they'd release them and they'd flourished in the area and that's what he alluded to at the time it certainly sparked my interest then with that I was like wow I've seen it I want to know more now and I just wanted to know more and more and more about it because I felt privileged actually seeing the panther
2: Although I've started reading the book, and I've got well past that part of the book, because that's quite early on, isn't it? I hadn't cottoned on to the fact that it was so parallel to your actual experience. I thought that you'd had a similar type of experience in a similar area described to the, in the book, but I didn't know it was an absolute reflection of what happened.
1: Definitely was, yeah.
2: Yeah. Did any of your fellow workers see anything to get suspicious?
1: No, uh, they didn't. It was laughed at when I mentioned it even though they'd heard of sightings. And one of the guys had worked in Exmoor previously on another job. And he said, oh, yeah, they used to be down that area as well. There was no evidence. It wasn't regular thing. And the way that people, for me, when I was talking to them about it, was, yes, it's something that people have reported, but nothing that's real.
2: Yes, and it's ripe for mickey-taking amongst work
1: colleagues. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, completely.
2: Hopefully you were thick-skinned enough.
1: You have to be working in pipeline construction, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and before we go on to the book and uh, how you develop the plot and everything, you're now living in, um, near Simmons Yacht in Herefordshire.
1: That's correct, yeah.
2: And of course, that's Claire Balding's sighting area. So you must be aware of the local gossip there.
1: Yes, I am. I believe it was part of a Radio 4 broadcast about the area. And it was just complete one-off that she managed to actually have a sighting. But yeah, I I read about it. And when we moved to the area about five years ago, telling my, my partner then, I said, you know, there has been sightings up here. Since then, our Facebook group on the hill, yes, they do mention it every now and again that they've seen evidence of it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, great. Well, you can hear the extract from that program on one of our episodes. It's labelled, and it's so frustrating because about two years ago, I gave a talk in that very area because we've met people in that area who've had sightings following that, and you didn't get to hear about it. No. We advertised it on the wrong Facebook groups, obviously, because I think we did use social media. It just shows you because it would be nice to have caught up with you there. It would. Yeah, we got some local witnesses at that area, some local people who were interested and a couple of sceptics, but they were very open-minded and very pleased to come along and have a chat and that's the way it should be, I think. I think they went away more open-minded.
1: Were you received well? Were you received well on the night?
2: Yeah, I think the landlord was happy because, you know, wintertime midweek, a talk on big cats in a local pub does push the numbers up. So, And I think most people Mm. came because they wanted to hear more and contribute about their sighting. So, yeah, we had a a willing audience anyway. But it's a nice part of the world, but it's thick forest, isn't it? You could hide elephants in there and never find them.
1: I think it's a mixture in the history as well of the the hillside with the old industries that were up here with the uh, coppicing and the uh, lime mines as well. You can see how any animal could exist here. Plus, there's a plentiful supply of food for the predators as well.
2: Absolutely. On the trail cameras we've got there, it's all deer and now boar, and it's very busy with mammals. And actually, parts of it, you feel like you're walking through an ancient forest kingdom that you could use as a a film set. And in fact, it has been used for films, hasn't it?
1: I have heard it has, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think one of the recent King Arthur, Warner Brothers' King Arthur, I've forgotten what that one was called, was filmed there. Okay, so let's get back to the book. Congratulations on the book. People can get it on Amazon, and you can get it a printed copy, which I've got, or you can buy a Kindle one to download on your computer.
1: That's right, yes, you can, yeah.
2: And tell us about the title, and what the title's all about.
1: So the title is Tonmar, and Tonmar is the name of a village in the Avon Forest. It's a traditional Welsh village, really nice community. I've got a couple of close friends who actually live there from my time working in that area. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful place. I, I was struggling at first with the title. I was trying not to call it the cat something or the panther this. The majority of people who actually pick a book off the shelf are attracted by the cover, so I concentrated more on the on the picture on the cover, which is a, quite a close up of a panther, quite a dark scene. And they alluded to the the scenery with the wind turbines as well, which figure in the book. And you depict the
2: wind turbines in a menacing way because of their impact on the wildlife.
1: Yes. So the name is named after the village.
2: Yes, but it's also a character in the book, isn't it?
1: That's right. The main character. That was something I really struggled with as well, was the actual the character of an animal. Because, of course, nobody really understands the true character of an animal we can describe how we think they might be thinking and what their character might be, but I don't think we we truly know what it is and what they actually think. So the main character in the book is a panther, and the panther's name is Tom Marr. It's as simple as that, really.
2: So it was just the sighting led to the inspiration to write a novel. Is it as simple as that?
1: I think so. I think I've always had it in me to write a novel. I've always been interested in reading and I've never really written short stories, but I love the written word. So reading books and getting into how they're formed and the plots and analysing books, trying to enjoy them, but quite too often over-analyzing the books and wishing I could have written it a different way, etc. Waiting for the opportunity really of time, which is most people's enemy, to actually make a start. So with those two driving forces, the first one obviously is wanting to write and having the desire to write, but then you need a subject. It's very difficult to find a subject that you can write comfortably about, as you probably well know, having written yourself. So I concentrated then on formulating the story on something that I felt was a good subject and an interesting subject because i think that the panthers are and it certainly had a profound effect on me and following the sighting uh with limited resources i had i did research and research and found out more about them and was constantly looking for information news snippets etc so building up really a genuine interest of the subject and then the two sort of came together as in, in timing when I was off work with a back injury, I've six months of, of doing absolutely nothing, I thought, if you're not going to do it now, you're never going to do it. So I made a start, basically, and, and pretty much wrote the book, the story, if you like, in that six-month period.
2: Yes, it is making a start, isn't it? Getting that momentum yeah. that it's all about, I think. And if you've got that window, that's great, yeah. And you were telling me that your brother made you rewrite a bit. Can you tell us about that?
1: It lacked character, even though the plot was set out. It lacked a bit of humanity, it it lacked depth, if you like. I explored then more about the individual characters in the book and perhaps changed the perspective from third person to first for the Panthers. That's the thing that changed the book for me. I noticed straight away, and and my brother did as well, he said it's completely changed. It's a totally different story. You're speaking from a different perspective now you know, the perspective was the animal's thoughts and the animal's decisions and what movements, why the movements were made. It just developed from there. And strangely, that change of character then sparks changes in other parts of the book. I got to myself thinking, well, if Tom Marr is going this way, she's going for a reason. So therefore, what was our other predator thinking? And what were the, the humans in that situation thinking? And the whole thing sort of tends to move around a lot better and gel a lot better when you start describing from the first person. It just helps with the uh, the flow, basically. And it just felt a more complete book.
2: Yeah, it has some immediacy. It's interesting. I don't know whether you caught up with it. There's a recent Indian Black Leopard documentary On National Geographic, we've linked the trailer to one of our episodes. I'll re-link it to this episode. And the narrator is the black leopard himself as he walks through his territory and as he looks at his opponent and he looks at his potential mate and he looks at the prey opportunities.
1: That's right. I was watching it on Saturday, funnily enough, yeah. Oh, okay. Fantastic. I only caught a snippet. I was in somebody else's house, so I, I couldn't get stuck into it, but I can't wait to watch that again, especially because I don't know what you think. Rick, but the majority of what actually does go on with the panthers is at night. During the day, they're hiding. They're um, to survive. You've got to you've got to make the most of the surroundings. And what better surroundings than uh, the cover of darkness? You know.
2: Yeah, yeah, and dawn and dusk. Hmm. I think it does come across that when you're actually describing in the book the predation and the way they feel that they've got to behave and keep undercover, you've done your homework. And so, yeah, you just did your research before you went into it.
1: But then when you start writing, you've got to put yourself in that character. You've got to put yourself in that panther's thoughts. You're almost walking the walk with the character. Because if you don't do that, very soon it becomes very um, bitty, if you like.
2: And abstract.
1: Yeah, so you have to immerse yourself in that character. (laughs) That's not an easy thing to do with a four-legged animal, but you have to. You know, what would you do? And I think some of the thoughts as well are very uh, humane thoughts, but we don't know exactly what they truly think and how the brain patterns work and how they make decisions. We seem to think that a lot of it's instinct, but I think the majority of it is actual choice from surroundings, you know?
2: Yes, the environmental factors. Yeah. Did you get second opinions from friends and family who read bits and who sort of said, oh, that's too cringeworthy or that doesn't work for me? Did you take views from other people or did you trust your own judgment?
1: Yeah, I trusted my own judgment. After that first draft and my brother's input, then I just thought, no, do it yourself, finish it, and then ask somebody close to you to read it. And The more people I spoke to about the book, they just said, just do it. Just put it out there. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So in the end, I just... Believed in my own skills, really. Without being big-headed, I just thought, no, you've started this, so you've got to finish it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sure. And the book flits between the human plot and the panther's plot, and sometimes they converge. I mean, obviously, we don't want any spoilers, and I'm reading it, so I don't want any spoilers, but can you give us a hint of the theme of the plot?
1: Yeah, the theme of the plot centres around the different ways that society accepts or um, rejects the idea of the panthers and their effect and their effect on the way that they operate as well so there's a strong theme through the book about the actual landowners whose land is affected by the panthers and the negative vibes that they put out and the negative things that they do both to uh, ridicule people who are believing in conservation and actually destroying that side of it and it's bringing out the, the worst in some people in that they will be seeing it as an opportunity to better themselves and, and get cheap thrills on the other side of the coin you there's the more of the conservationist and you know the humane side of people where they actually are privileged to have even seen or know about and they almost want to protect the existence and the right that they've got to actually live amongst us so I tried to thread that into the book. You've always got to have a bad guy in a book. <laughs> Regardless of what you're writing about, if it's a story, there's always got to be a bad guy. So there is a battle going on there between good and evil. The good sometimes wins and the bad sometimes wins, and that goes up and down. But that runs through with what the Panthers are, Panthers are doing in the, in the book and how they're progressing from moving through their territories and uh, establishing territories. And the book is, is very much about the, the territories. That's what I try to get over and the influences on the territories and why they would move and go to different areas, et cetera.
2: Yeah, I think that's why a lot of podcast listeners will find it very interesting. We do try and have these discussions on these podcasts about the attitude towards the Panthers and how they affect us and affect us physically in the landscape and actually emotionally in our reaction to them, depending on how they affect our lives directly or indirectly. But I think also we always speculate about how they are operating in their territories, in their environment. And you provide some examples, albeit fictional, for us to think about in the book. So I think that's really helpful and interesting to have that.
1: There are some very interesting people out there with good descriptions of how, as a team, they operate. It's almost like a club and in a local area and you've alluded to it yourself where you know through friendship etc groups of people will go and they'll track and they will do captures with the the cameras etc and prints etc and uh, I found that fascinating as well that people who have the time and the energy to do that in a way that's conserving you know the environment for the Panthers to thrive because the not protecting, but I suppose the awareness is being raised, you know?
2: Yeah, in defence of landowners, I know you've got a bit of a stereotype approach. I think maybe books have to do that, but and people will hear me often on the podcast say the majority of the landowners, farmers and people from the hunting sector that I have dialogue with are very open-minded and positive and helpful and thoughtful about it. You know, they're not making quick, hasty, negative reactions to, to the situation.
1: And that's one thing that i i played with with the main protagonist uh louise in the book she was swaying one way or the other at the start and you don't really know which way she's going to go with the good guys or the bad guys if you like without oversimplifying it too much but there are certain things that she does early on in the book and you think oh i don't like her she's um <laughs> she's on the wrong side here she's got ulterior motives but as it progresses, you see that she's, because of the knowledge of what she's seen previously, that she's actually doing things for a good reason, the right reasons as well. It's conservation, it's managing and it's looking after and it's nurturing as well. Yeah.
2: I'm finding it very closely observed, remarkably closely <laughs> observed. You know, you can see people you know in it.
1: <laughs> good. No, that's exactly what I was after. Yeah. <laughs> actually, if you can relate into uh, the characters, is. Uh, And that's what it lacked at the start of the book, you know, when I first got the plot down. It it just lacked that, do I really know this person? Could I know this person?
2: Yes, it'll be interesting to see if people who know nothing about the big cat scene will find it too contrived. will think, oh, this is a bit far-fetched in terms of, do people really sit around pubs talking to each other about how they're going to go tracking and... It reminds me a bit of the great comedy series The Detectorists, The Metal Detectorists and when my other half was watching that and seeing how nerdy they are and how sort of almost competitive they are she was just re- saying could be the big cat scene and there's a bit of that in your book which is, yeah, we can be a bit nerdy but that's part
1: of it, I guess. Of course it is, yeah. yeah. What about reactions to the book so far? Have you had many? It's got quite little exposure. The reactions I've had have been very kind and very positive but you have to sort of temper that with the people who are giving you that feedback which is friends and family I've recently have had some feedback from a lady called Wendy I think she is an author as well she's told me off for my punctuation and (laughs) spelling in certain areas which are which I will accept gracefully because she's involved in the big cat community and to get her feedback was everything to me and um, it was really positive Yeah, if Wendy likes it, I think uh, everybody will.
2: Yes, Wendy was on our podcast episode from Lincolnshire. And in fact, she was the one person who drew it to my attention. So good for Wendy. Yeah. That's the issue, isn't it, for an author? You get sort of diplomatic and polite reactions from friends in your own community and family. Yeah. It's the wider audience that will lay into it or not that you really need to hear from, I guess, in time. Yeah. Yeah. What what do you want it to achieve? Do you have any ambitions for it? Do you want it to be influential?
1: Or I would like it to be. I'd like it to be read, obviously, by lots of people, but I would like it more of um, raising the awareness because what I'm tending to find recently, and certainly forget the last six months because of COVID, etc., but sort of leading up to it, the sightings are becoming more nationalised with reporting, and there's a lot more media vibe. And my fear is that the media will take it the wrong way to the wrong level, if you like, and Disneyfy everything. And I would hope that the book just brings back a bit of normality to the situation, because at the end of the day, you know, these beautiful animals are living in our countryside, and they're surviving. And they have every right to be here, just like the wild boar, the deer, the foxes, and all the other British wildlife animals, and they're part of it. I hope one thing it does is just makes people realize that, look, it ain't that special. You know, it's nothing stupidly out of the ordinary. We're not talking about predators that are killing human beings. We're talking about beautiful animals that are surviving, in our in our beautiful countryside that's really what i would hope that the book might do normalize it you know
2: yeah that is interesting because the plot both on the human and the wildlife side certainly has an edge to it and it's got a sort of gritty reality it's not like you are trying to glamorize anything or glorify anything it's quite understated a lot of it which i think actually does reinforce what you've just said in terms of normalizing it and you've pitched it as just these animals getting on with their lives and having to work out strategies in their territories and their environment around what the humans are doing which they would have to inevitably inevitably unless they're well, well away from human activity.
1: as The book was getting grittier and grittier, and then a couple of other things sparked my imagination, which I won't spoil. I threw in just to not liven the book up, but to give it a a bit of a nasty edge as well, and so people would actually hate some of the characters, and also people would love some of the characters. So, uh, yeah, there's a couple of things in there which might, to the reader, seem a bit odd. It throws you off the centre a little bit as well. Yeah, but a couple of ideas, if you like, of what might happen if, in the future if things do go the wrong way with, with the Panthers.
2: Yeah, that's what fiction and the arts and literature and folklore can do that, can't they? They can prompt these thoughts and influence how we respond. Do you feel that there's a sequel or, that, or would you like somebody to think, gosh, we could make this into a play or a low-budget film or something? Do you hope something
1: develops? I do. I, I think it warrants a sort of gritty short drama. Okay, especially with the advances on the CGI that uh, are, especially in the UK, you know, I think it could be portrayed on the screen. And as regards a sequel and moving the story forward, pretty much everybody I've spoke to so far have said, "When's the next one? What happens next? Where does she go next?" And I've started to put a few ideas together and just outline a bit of a plot, but it needs another edge at the moment. I don't know what that edge is. <laughs> And you might get people sending you ideas. Well, that's the other thing, just in the recent correspondence, little comments back about certain things and how they feel the same and how they know people who are uh, like characters in the book, etc. And that to me is gold, you know, because that kind of feedback, especially from the, I'll call it the big cat community. Hope you don't mind, but I feel like that's what it is. Uh, yeah, that sort of information is gold because it's what people are feeling and what, actually been prompted to say if you like from the reaction
2: and you can run with some of those or not that can influence your judgment on future developments
1: yeah definitely
2: I was going to ask you if you had heard of or heard it on the radio a very impressive radio play it was out over 10 years ago now by a guy called Simon Bovey he was a rising talent at the time and he's certainly risen further I gather. It's called Red in Tooth and Claw. It was on Radio 4, and they have a play for today in the afternoons. Yes. He had a big cat sighting, because I got in touch with him and congratulated him when it came out. It's a great plot, and he basically plays with the point that our reaction to the cats can be actually more dangerous to panthers and pumas in the woods themselves. We're the beast in the woods, actually, perhaps more than they are. But yeah, that was inspired by a, a sighting. A very impressive play, Red in Tooth and Claw.
1: I'd be very interested in listening to that, yeah.
2: The other one I mentioned to you, and I think we have mentioned it on episode three of the podcast where we revisit Exmoor, the late Trevor Beer and his work, because he was a great artist, a great writer, and he did a fabulous book called Merlin, Tales of a West Country Leopard, and that's all about the wanderings of a big male black tom panther in Devon and Cornwall and how he lives his life.
1: For all of the research and reading I've done, I I never even came across it. It's mad, isn't it? I probably saw uh, the title and probably push-hushed it and moved on. But one thing I'd like to say as well is, Eric, is is your book. And without your book, I don't think this book could have come out because I lacked, when I was researching, finding the sort of credible narrative on not the facts themselves, but people's perceptions and reactions, etc. And that's one thing that certainly honed my skill of writing this book was was your influence as well. So thank you very much.
2: That's nice to hear. I I didn't know that. And thank you. You know, I'm chuffed to hear that because in a way, that's what you want to do when you write a book. You want it to influence and inspire, if it can do, directly or indirectly. Yeah. And so that's wonderful to hear that. That's great. In fact, my book does need updating. I have been due to update it for a couple of years. The podcast project has got in the way a bit. For example, it hasn't got anything about tooth pit analysis in it. The work on the tooth marks on the bones has been done at Royal Agriculture University. And one or two other bits need just sort of polishing and updating merlin uh trevor beer's book it's a bit almost set in postman pat countryside compared to yours yours is full-on contemporary edgy gritty human skullduggery Mm. now i wouldn't say trevor beer's merlin is totally in a peaceful calm environment but you don't feel as threatened and menacing in the human perspective as you do in yours Mm. but again good plot's got to have some edge to it so (laughs) yeah, yeah you took the risk and we'll see how it goes I think it's really important that the creative arts and literature do treat the big cats because that is part of the awareness raising. It's part of our reaction to them. Even the beer brands are great, I think. Yeah. It all helps the emerging folklore and and all of that. It does. Anything more you want to say about big cats in the wild in Britain and what you personally feel about it in the future?
1: That wherever you are in whichever bit of countryside, if you can accept that they are around you then you'll actually probably see one <laughs> but as we educate the younger generations and for them to see that as as a natural part of the countryside that's to me is the best thing that could happen for the panthers you know they are out there i don't think they're going to go away i think we'll always cite them i hope that the sightings become less dramatic if you like where people are actually, especially now where people are going to be holidaying in this country a lot more, I think the sightings will go up and they will come across them and they will see evidence. I just hope that the cats don't feel threatened and they have to move away and that people are respectful of them and allow them to flourish.
2: What's intriguing about your sighting, going back to your particular sighting, is you saw one in inclement weather. That's rare. It's normally good weather, sunny mornings when they're out sunning themselves or days after stormy weather when they've come out to recover. But you saw one in a foul winter's evening and it was out and about still.
1: It was. From memory as well, around about that time, it had been horrendous weather for weeks leading up to it as well. It was one of those mild, wet winters in South Wales. The sky never seemed to lift, you know. And that particular day, we were struggling up on the job from memory as well, with flooding, etc. in the excavations. It was a horrible, nasty, wet, dark afternoon.
2: That season, it didn't have much choice whenever it came out.
1: I don't think it did, no. <laughs> I sort of described it a bit in the book. I sort of moved that line on a bit, really, and developed that sighting because it did look very, very tired and forlorn. And that's what stuck with me as well that it was looking like it had been on a journey. It was dusk where you could pick things out. It was more of a deep, deep darkness, you know, not black, but a very, very deep darkness that wasn't reflecting much light, but was a definite imprint straight away of of an unusual shape that I hadn't seen before, you know?
2: Sure. Most people describe a cat as i've said many times now on the podcast i think that's looking very unstressed and confident and arrogant almost and Mm. in good condition and including its coat i would say probably five percent of the sightings people do say it was dirty you know it needed a wash there was a flecks of mud on it which of course they would be you know they're operating in the landscape as a predator you're going to get messy sometimes (laughs) yeah that's right Yeah, well, good luck with the book. and um, Thank you. Yeah, and to be intrigued to see how it goes and what happens next. And great to hear the inside angle on it all and the fact that you're probing into the Big Cat community and the way we investigate and try and discover them as well. So there's a bit about the human psyche. And people can find it. It's um, on Amazon, David Anthony Starkey's Tonmar. We'll put a link to it on episode 32 of Big Cat Conversations' website on the refs and Links page. So, David, ever so good to talk to you.
1: And you as well, Rick. Very much enjoyed the experience. It's the first time for me. Thank you ever so much for inviting me on to your podcast.
2: Pleasure, David. All the best. A very quick break for our words of the week. And for this episode, they were supplied by David, our guest, and he suggested, Art represents reality. Of course, art and literature can be especially powerful when they do indeed reflect reality. You can now judge this for yourself with what's coming up in our second half, because we are going to hear the full version of the radio play that I just mentioned to David. So this is Red in Tooth and Claw, which was written for and broadcast on BBC Radio 4, so inevitably it's a high calibre production, and it's splendid that we've been allowed to use it here. Our sincere thanks go to Simon Bovey, the playwright, for his permission. The setting for what you're about to hear is the Ribble Valley in the mid part of north-west of England. So, here we go with Red in Tooth and Claw.
3: You can see Beacon fell from the M6 as you drive through Lancashire. It's hard to miss, and we live just below it at Fairacre Farm. It's been in my family since anyone can ever remember. My grandad got it from his dad, then he gave it to my dad, and he says it'll come to me when I'm ready. But you don't really own the land, he says. You're just looking after it for a while. I tried to remember that.
2: Red
0: in Tooth and Claw by Simon Bovey
4: better than my day then. What are you looking at? Just
3: a couple of buzzards. You must be looking for rabbits. Aren't they amazing how they don't even have to flap their wings? Yeah.
4: Riding the thermals.
3: Riding the what?
4: Hot air. I like you get out of the back of a sheep. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Hello lady. You on the ball?
4: Hey watch it your dad's coming. Hey
3: right, dad.
5: Don't get in the way while we're working there's a good boy.
3: Why not? I'll just keep up. We're
4: well, almost done here, Jeff. Just got the creeps and the edge to cover. Good. But mind they don't get back through. Our nah, best grass
5: is on their side.
3: Have you finished with lady?
5: I think so. Why?
3: Well, I just wanted to take her for a walk, just up to fell side.
5: <coughs> She's been working with us all day, so she's had plenty of exercise. And you know, Dan, she's not a pet. That's a nice afternoon. wouldn't mind a walk myself. Have you done your homework? Yeah. Well, OK, then. But don't take her near the top meadow. Let the sheep settle in.
4: All right. Have fun. <coughs>
5: Don't encourage him. He already treats the place like a playground.
4: He's a country boy, Jeff. He understands it well enough. And have you noticed that dog's going soft? Well, I'm glad one of us around here is.
3: Lady, here. Look, do you want the ball? Here, fetch. Well, come on then, bring it back. Hey, what are you eating? Oh, that's gross. Oh, spit it out. Oh no, 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 you keep away, you go. Come on, come on. Dad! Dad!
5: Vince, I thought I told you to take some silage across to the rams. Did you? Dad! Sorry, I must have just forgot. Yeah, well leave the trailer, it's and do it now, will you? The grass Dad. up there's too thin.
4: Hey, what's up, Danny boy?
3: Dad. My dad, Vince, you got to come see. There's a sheep up at the top meadow. And something's been at it. Yeah, way. yeah, hey, calm down. No, but there's a sheep dead up there.
5: Well, it happens.
3: No, dad, something killed it.
5: Foxes always get one or two of the lambs. Let us finish up here first, OK? Then Vince will go and have a look. And I thought I told you not to go up to the top meadow.
3: I didn't. He was in the north pasture. No, dad, you've got to see it. It's a big sheep and it's all been ripped apart.
4: Oh, will you look at that. Something certainly did a number on the poor beggar. about ah. legs around here somewhere.
3: I didn't see him. Hey, Dad,
2: do you reckon it was a fox?
5: No, this is some bloody tourist letting his dog run wild. Makes me sick, It really does. What do you think, Vince? Are we looking at one dog or two.
4: Vince. Hey? I don't think it was a dog at all. What are you talking about? I saw something like this when I was working in Somerset. I could be wrong, Jeff, but I reckon this is a big cat. Oh God! Oh, don't talk scribble, yeah, I'm man. I'm just telling you how it looks. Neck ripped open, organs completely gone. And these bite marks down the shoulder. Yeah, can... all
5: right, Vince. For Christ's sake, you're scaring
4: the boy. No, he's not. Look at this print. That's wider than any dog. Oh, blimey, that's as wide as my fist, Jeff. Look at this. Tiger
3: it.
5: No, he doesn't. Your Uncle Vince is just pulling our legs. I suit yourself, but I've seen this before. Yes, thank you, David Attenborough, but we're a long way from Somerset, and I know a dog strike when I see one. Dan, run and get a sack for me, will you? And you can leave the gates so We'll bring the flock down for tonight. we we'll just put them in there. We can't leave them out if there's a dog loose, can we? If they're close to the house, we can keep an eye on them, and Lady will bark if she hears anything.
4: Aye, go the bus. And check them for injuries as they go through. Yeah, yeah, I'm on it. Come on, girls. You're on the move again.
5: You are helping by getting the gates. Go on. OK.
3: Oh, will you tell me about the tiger later, Vince? Yeah, come on it, little
0: fella. Come on.
4: tea? Cheers.
3: Yeah, but you must know how many killed.
4: No, there is no way of knowing. The ponies on Exmoor just run wild and they're only brought in once a year.
0: So, we only found this one by chance.
3: (laughs) If it attacks ponies, how big is it then?
0: Oh, damn, no more questions.
3: come on, it's interesting. I don't
0: know.
4: He said it was a puma or a panther or something, which is about five feet long.
3: Cool. We have them here.
4: Well, some people think so. And they say they grip their prey round the throat so that it can't breathe. (laughs) (laughs) Victim's tongue swells up and its face fills with blood so that the eyes bulge out of their sockets. All
5: right, you two, that's (laughs) enough. Up to bed now, Dan. It's school tomorrow.
3: Oh, Dad, can I stay up a bit longer? No,
5: go on. I'll be up in a minute to make sure you've cleaned your teeth.
3: Big cats have enormous teeth, don't they? Much bigger than ladies.
5: Yeah, but I doubt they have worse breath. But yours will be if you don't go up and brush. <laughs> now, go on.
3: All right, I'm going. Come on, girl.
5: Well, thanks a bunch. What? And he never sleeps again. Oh, come on. I haven't seen him this excited about anything for ages. Exactly. I don't know what you're thinking sometimes, Vince. You swing the lead all day, then you fill his head with crazy ideas when he's got school to think hey, about.
4: I put my weight here. I'm not crazy. I know what I know. We're not that far from Wales and they've seen him there.
5: Well, you could have kept it to yourself. He'd have forgotten all about it by the time the remains were in the sack. But now he's all worked up over it. That's what kids do at 11.
4: If you want to ease up on him, you know, give him a bit more room. Don't tell me how to bring up my son. He's Mary's son as well. He's my responsibility. Oh, I see. So I'm just a farm labourer. eh? Lift bales and round up sheep, but stay away from my nephew. Well, thanks for putting me straight, boss. Oh, now don't play a face
5: on me. I'm too tired. I just don't want him scared, that's all.
4: He wasn't. But if he sees you trying hide things like what happened to that sheep from him, then he'll think he should be warning.
5: It's not healthy. He needs a woman around.
4: Tell him about it. Still, he's got us. He'll survive.
5: Yeah, we all do.
4: Three years next month. Yeah. I think he still remembers it.
5: I don't think so. Does he talk about her? No. It's best he doesn't remember. It happened. Nothing we can do to bring her back. Christ, Jeff, you can be an odd bastard. Well, one of us has to be. You might not see it, but we're hanging on here by sweating a subsidy. The last couple of years have bled us dry, I'm telling you. So if I'm hard, it's because I know the wolf is always at the door. Yeah?
4: I bet you it's not a wolf out there tonight.
3: Leopards and panthers live in Africa, and are also found in Asia and Siberia. The puma, or mountain lion, is smaller... And most common in the Americas.
5: You cleaned your teeth? Yes. Come on, then. Into bed.
3: <sighs> Dad? Hmm? Do you think Vince is right and that it is a big cat out there?
5: No, son, I don't. I know a dog attack when I see one, so don't you go worrying about it.
3: You see, I've been looking in my books and it doesn't say that they live in England.
5: Well, there you are then. Your Uncle Vince was just joking with us. Forget about it now and go to sleep. Come on, lady, out.
3: Oh, can't she stay?
5: She belongs in the kitchen. Good night now.
3: Tigers are large, powerful strike cats that live in India and Asia, not the rubble Valley.
4: <laughs> hey, Vince, was it a car? something all right, but it was your dad who fired. Wait for me! Anymore.
3: Where is he? I don't
4: know. I can't see a thing. Geoff! Geoff, everything all right? Yeah.
5: Yeah, it's okay.
4: We heard you firing.
5: Yeah, I, um. I saw something. Was it a cat? Well, it's too dark to see for sure. Oh, did you see it? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It, it was skulking by the hedge, so I had to guess where it was more than aim. Then it took off fast.
3: Was it um, a puma or a leopard? What? Well, if he was a leopard, then it had a long tail. That's how you can tell it apart from a puma at a distance, Uh, No,
5: no. Look, it was a dog. It was definitely a dog. And what are you doing out here in your pyjamas anyway? You should be in bed.
3: Sorry, I just wanted to see.
5: Well, there is nothing to see. And if I didn't hit it, I scared it all right, so I, I reckon that'll be the last we'll see of him. What are you doing out
3: there? Uh, I was just looking to see if you hit anything last
5: night. I told you I didn't.
3: Yeah, but you said he was too dark to tell.
5: It was just some mangy dog. It looked like an Alsatian. Now, come off that mud in your shoes. Look at them. Why didn't you put your wellies on?
3: Mm, Sorry, I didn't think.
5: No, you don't, do you? Come here. Come on. You go to school with them like that, they'll think I don't look after you properly.
3: I wish it was a cat.
5: Why on earth would you wish that?
3: Well, you see, if it's a dog, then it belongs to someone. But a cat will be wild.
5: A dog can be pretty wild when it wants to be. Ah, there you go. And don't get them messed up again.
3: Yeah, but where would a cat come from? I mean, I think it's pretty amazing, don't you?
5: Whatever it is, Dan, it's just a pest. And you know that on a farm, it's always a struggle keeping them under control. That's why we spray the maize and dip the sheep and a hundred other things we have to do here, right? We're a factory. And this meadow is the factory floor. Most people don't understand that. Me and Vince, we're like the works managers. So this dog is a spanner in the works that I have to fix. Do you see what I mean?
3: I suppose so.
5: Good boy. Now go on, or you'll be late. And stick to the road, OK? Yeah, well, don't forget.
0: I don't know. These gentlemen farmers with nothing to do in the morning but walk their estate. Morning, Peter. How are you doing? Not so good, I can't complain. How'd lambing go?
5: Yeah, I did well for once. You?
0: Didn't see the wife for two weeks, so I think we can say it was pretty successful, yeah. Lost a few since, mine. You lose many? Uh, two or three, yeah. Foxes? Yeah, I expect it was. Always a bastard load of foxes this time of year.
5: That's true enough.
0: Come for a brew tomorrow night. A few of us are meeting down at the plume to talk about it.
5: Uh, well, it's difficult with Dan, you know. You've got
0: that Vince to keep an eye on him, haven't you?
5: Yeah, well, I'll try. I'll see you at
0: seven. It's important, Jeff.
4: Well you didn't tell me to bring them in? I didn't think I
5: needed to. Okay, I'll go do it now. Oh, no, leave it to me. You go in, clean up and get something to eat. I want to keep a watch on them tonight.
4: Again, Jeff, you said yourself you probably scared it off last night.
5: Yeah, and what if I haven't? It won't hurt to watch them for a couple of nights to check, will it? I've already lost 300 quid's worth of ram, and if I hadn't been out here last night, I'd have lost a lot more.
4: We'd have lost a lot more. You know what I mean? No, I don't. You didn't build this yourself, you know. You started with Mary, and I was with you all through foot and mouth, so... You know, I've got a stake in this as well. Then you won't mind taking the first watch,
5: will you? (laughs) Hiya, Dan. All right, Dan.
3: Hey, you wait till you see what I got off the web today. I've got a load of stuff about big cats. Oh, smart. How to identify them, where they live, past sightings and everything. Sounds great. It even said that the National Farmers Union wants to report new sightings. for
5: God's sake, Dan, look at the state of your shoes. What did I tell you?
3: sorry, Dad, the fields was muddy.
5: And I told you to stick to the road.
3: Yeah, but the fields is quicker and I wanted to show you what I found.
5: Don't go that way again, you hear? Why? Just do what I tell you for once.
3: But, Dad, listen. The people on this site are experts. And they reckon that there are only about 40 big cats in the country. So that makes them an endangered species. Good. But we have to tell them, then. That... Will
5: you just shut up
4: about it? Steady on, Jeff.
5: Look, I've got enough to worry about without some idiot on the web poking his nose in. This is a farm, not a zoo. Now, grow up. Straight to tell And clean your shoes in the barn. I don't want you
4: tracking mud into the house. You're a piece of work sometimes, Jeff. Can you see the lad was just trying to help? What else got into you? I'm worried, man. Isn't that obvious?
3: is sure please the senior lady. Wouldn't even look at the stuff. You're not even that muddy. <coughs> Quiet, lady. You alright? Yeah, lady just scared of Moggy.
4: Oh. Hey. Have you heard the one about the baby whose father was called Ferdinand and his mother, Liza? And they christened him Liza? Er,
3: yeah, yeah, that's a good one, Vince.
4: Dan, come on, he just worries about you.
3: Yeah, he's got a funny way of showing
4: it. Hey, dads don't know what to say sometimes. Well, I mean, he does, but it doesn't come out right. Sort of sounds angry instead of worried. Do you know what I mean? Look, it'll be better when we sort this dog out.
3: I thought you said it was a cat.
4: I said it might be. Your dad's seen it and he thinks it was a dog.
3: Yeah, but he's lying. What? No,
4: he's not. He's protecting you, that's all.
3: I think it's the big cat, anyway. Well, you
4: shouldn't believe everything I say, Dan. I am famous for talking a load of old washing.
3: No, but I just know it is. I mean, the way he killed that sheep's exactly what it says they do on the website. And I remember you said that some of the sheep in Somerset were carried off. So, I looked that up and and it said that since the mid-90s, there's been an increase in the number of sightings and farm animal fare... Fatality. Let me see. Fa-
4: yeah, fatalities. Yeah, dead sheep. In other words,
3: right. Which they say means the breeding.
4: Well, that's a comforting thought.
3: And reports of prey being carried off clearly indicates a female with cubs. Oh, and Vince, right? They can have three or more. Isn't that cool? <laughs>
5: one over there and those two have had a going over.
4: Christ, I didn't hear a thing, I just passed out in the
5: barn. I'm not a bit surprised.
4: I'm sorry but I've had hardly any sleep for two nights. What do you expect? I expect you to keep a watch when I ask you. Jeff, I can't keep this up. Neither can the sheep. How many did you lose when you were in Somerset? Oh, you're listening to me now, are you? I thought you said it was a crazy idea. Just tell me, will you? They lost. 18 over about 10 weeks. Oh. Well, the farms lost some too. Then, right, and this is a weird thing, it, it just stopped. You didn't try and track it? Well, yeah, I tried a couple of times, but who's hunted cat before? We didn't know what to look for other than a few prints. All we found was some bones and a couple of carcasses stuck up trees.
5: Which is all I'm going to have left if I don't do something. But
4: Jeff, it'll never happen. If someone had managed to shoot one before, it would have made the national news. We've, we've just got to ride it out.
5: No, not this time. Any animal can be tracked we'll need some help. Oh,
4: Jeff!
3: Did you see it?
5: Finish your breakfast. Morning, uh, this is Jeff Slater at Fairacre Farm. I need a vet to come out and look at a couple of sheep. Uh, no, dog worrying. OK, thanks, that that'd be fine. Bye.
3: You know it's not a dog, don't you?
5: I just don't see how it can be a cat.
3: People used to keep them.
5: What, as pets?
3: If you'd have read that stuff I left out for you, you'd know.
5: Yeah, I meant to. So what, they escaped?
3: Well, not really. You see, when the law said people had to buy licenses in big cages, they just let them go.
5: No one's going to let a big cat go, Dan.
3: Well, they did, I know. I've read that stuff. You see, they thought that they'd just die in the code, but they didn't. And the people on the web say that there's more sightings now than there was 10 years ago, and in more parts of the country.
5: Are you saying these things are breeding?
3: Well, Vince was interested. I told him yesterday that I think the one that visits us has cubs, because she's taking parts of a kill away, and they only do that when they've got a family. What are you doing? <laughs> no, Dad, you can't shoot it.
5: If it comes back, it's dead. They don't belong here, Dan. You read it yourself. They come from Africa or India, not the Ribble Valley.
3: Oh, but Dad, they not- No.
5: They're vermin. Now, I don't want you going outside the yard, you hear me? When you finish getting ready for school, I'll get Vince to drive you oh, it's down. All that, I've it's... made my decision. It's a wild beast, and if it's protecting young, it'll be dangerous. There's no room for it here.
0: So? So, thanks for coming. Dougie here said old man Harris will try and make it later. Of course, he's worried sick. I suppose you've heard what happened at the deer bark. Can't say I have. Yeah.
5: Lost two of the senior hinds, and one of the stags is a mess. She's a bit tightened back by it. I can imagine.
0: Who else has had trouble? We all have. Who's all? <laughs> I've lost a calf,
4: and all my chickens. The Jevons have had a couple of sheep go. Percy Starrs has lost some of it, but he wouldn't let on watch. (laughs) Peter has had it
0: worse, though, I reckon. You didn't say? No, well, five in a fortnight is tough to take in. I've been on to the police, but they weren't interested. I've lost three myself,
5: plus a vet's bill for two that got a maul in. It's a bad do, all right. A couple of nights back I I took a shot at something, but I don't think I hit it. Might have been a dog.
0: A dog, you say? What else? This doesn't leave the table. Three years ago, I seen it. It's been taking one or two a year since. Never bothered me much. You expect to lose that to crows and such. But this year it's been busy all right. And I'll tell you for nothing, it ain't no bloody dog. Agreed. So what are we going to do about it?
2: Halftail's cub isn't just bigger. She's becoming cheekier and more aggressive by the day. Play sessions between mother and cub are much rougher and at times threaten to get out of hand.
3: Our cats look female, don't they?
4: You know, I think you're right. Apart from lions, maybe
2: eight. Mm. The cubs growing independence is more and more obvious. Don't you
3: think it's funny that when you see a cheetah chase an hide. antelope, you're really pleased when it gets away. But then when they show you the cheetah's cubs, you'd wish that she'd cart something for them to eat. Next yeah. week we
2: found the cub playing with the hair that had delivered to her. Nature-ready
4: tooth and claw.
2: What's that mean?
4: Uh, for food. something to live, something has half-tail to
2: die. In, mm. ready to snatch the kill to safety.
3: Dad always says townies don't understand nature. They think the country's like one big park room to play in. Hmm. So it's our jobs to look after it. Make sure it's all still there to pass on to our children. But what he really means is that we should look after the farm and kill everything wild.
4: That's a bit harsh, isn't it, Dan? I know he's got a bit of a cob on about this cat, but you've got to try and see it from his point of view.
3: Well, I I do. It's like... In geography yesterday, right, Mr Bennett said that the farmers in Kenya have a lot of trouble with elephants in their crops, and that's, like, the same, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I suppose it is. What time is it when an elephant's in your crop?
3: Yeah, I know that one. But the farmers there are paid not to kill him because the tourists come to see him. Hey, maybe if we told the NFU we had cubs, we might get some money.
4: I can't see your dad going for that.
3: No, no, not me. You could ask him.
4: (laughs) do. <laughs> he never listens to me. To be honest with you, I think I just remind him of your mum. Anyway, if you think about it, where would we be if all the cubs grew up, eh? Eh? Arse deep in Panthers and the council would have to cover the hills in kitty litter. <laughs> hey, that's better. It's the first laugh I've had out of you for ages. Oh, well, I'd better get back on duty before your dad gets back. OK. Vince?
0: Hmm?
3: Well, do you miss her? Who? You know, Mum.
4: Sometimes I manage to go in all day without thinking of her. Vince? Yeah?
3: Do war cats move the covers when they're disturbed? You know, like this one on TV? I don't know. The
4: ones in the barn do.
3: Hmm, it's true. Are you gonna take the shotgun?
4: No. Nope. I've had a few beers. I'd probably just shoot me foot off if I had to use it.
2: All right, see ya. you. short of a meal. still hungry.
4: You're right, girls. Yeah, you're all right. Hey, who's there, lady? Lady, what's up? Oh, I'm having a heart attack here. Have you seen it? No, it's you. you gave me a hell of a start. I was just checking around. What, you don't trust me to do it? It's not that.
5: I'm just heard uh, other farms have been hit. Worse than us, some of them. Peter Vint had a good look at it one night. Swears it was a panther, jet black, long tail. Society <sighs> won't forget in a You haven't heard the half of it. He reckons it's been around three years. Taking the odd sheep, but no more than you'd expect to lose. Yeah, until now.
4: Yeah.
5: When were you going to tell me it has cubs?
4: I thought you were intent on painting a bleak enough picture as it was without that little nugget. Well, we're going to get together.
5: Flush it out. I said you'd try and track it, seeing as how you've seen this sort of
4: thing before. (laughs) All right, thanks. (laughs) Dan will take it badly. What is it with Dan and this cat? Uh, I don't know. If he thinks he's got cubs, then I suppose it's like a mother and it reminds him of... You know, he thinks... Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you should have a word with him. I don't think he'll listen to me right now. Oh, you could try listening to him. I do. Oh, since when? Oh,
5: yeah, it's so easy for you to criticise, isn't it? Cos you don't have to make the decisions. Yeah, no one ever said you had to shoulder all the
4: burden round here. Oh, I can leave it to you, Canna. Sleeping on the job, larking about, forgetting to feed stock. If I'm so bloody useless, why'd you bother employing me? Oh, you know what I mean. Yeah, and you know what I mean. Why not take a blind bit of notice of anything I say, but I am right about this. I can see the pair of you heading for a big bus stop. He'll
5: get over it. Yeah, and what if he doesn't? I have got to protect my stock, and that's an end to it.
4: We had a good lamb crop this year, the first since we rebuilt the flock, but this cat could ruin it. What oh, does Dan care about that? He just wants his dad to play with him and have a laugh. But you're pushing him away Jeff and one day he'll go. No, Mary was leaving because she never took any notice of what she needed and now you're doing the same to your son. Ah, you talk some rubbish. She and Dan were coming to stay with me the night of the accident, Jeff, so don't tell me I don't know. We'd have sorted it out. What the hell business is it of mine anyway? What? It? What? Pete, Pete saw this cat three years ago. You say, well, that's some kind of coincidence, isn't it? The police never did explain why Mary went off the road. No, no, maybe, maybe it ran out and she swerved, and maybe Dan saw it and he's making the connection now. I don't know, but it makes you think. Oh, that's
5: bollocks, Vince. Listen, Dan lost his mother, but nothing is going to take this land away from him. For a little while, she and I had a slice of paradise here. Now there's a beast in the garden. And I can't have that.
4: I'm not the one you need to convince.
3: Lady.
5: It's all right. Just move in your book. (sighs) Big cats of the world. Did you clean your teeth? Yeah. All right. Good night.
3: Mum used to read to me at night, didn't she?
5: And you were a little too old for that?
3: Mm. Yeah, just remember is all.
5: You sleep tight, son.
0: Breakfast ready?
5: Come on, Dan, you'll be late. Dan, I won't tell you again.
4: Where is he? Hey, is he not in his room? I
5: wouldn't be asking if he was. Did he say last night he was going out early?
4: No, I don't think so. We watched some TV and then we. He asked me if cats move their cubs when they're disturbed. I, I, I bet he's gone up the beacon after it. Hey, Jeff! Jeff, wait, I'm coming with you!
3: Hey, Cat! Here, Cat! Oh, come on, where are you? Here, Cat, come on! Jan! Hey, you stay there! Oh,
4: no, Danny boy. I guess you were up here. You've had us worried sick. Didn't I tell you not
5: to go out on your own? You go off tramping on the beacon and anything can happen. I mean, what did you think you were doing?
3: I was trying to scare it away, alright. Can I go now?
5: Hey, you're not so big I can't put you over my knee. Jeff. I took a shot at it. If that didn't frighten it off, I don't see how you're shouting at it, Will. I only
4: meant well, Jeff.
5: Yeah. Yeah, all right. I just don't want you worrying about the farm getting in the way of your schoolwork.
3: I wasn't scaring it away to protect the farm. I was scaring it away from you.
5: Look, Dan, I understand how you feel. Really, I do. But I have to protect the stock. You can see that, can't you?
3: Come on, we've only lost three sheep. We lose more than that to foxes or crows. And I shoot
5: foxes. This is no
3: different. Look, we've got loads of sheep, but we'll only ever have one cat. You don't have to it. We could use electric fences and keep a watch at night, and I'll help. There are all kinds of things we could do. And we've
5: tried those things. Vince and I are dead on our feet from keeping a watch. Now I've got to take more direct action.
3: You just don't care. You eat anything, you can't tell what to do. Hey,
5: now that's enough. You're acting like a child. This is costing me money, Dan, and it's not just me either. There are others involved now. One way or another, it ends tonight.
4: My side, Dan. I don't have any choice.
3: Yeah, you do. Just tell me you won't do it. Tell him you're sick anything. But you can't do it, Vince.
4: He still pays me wages. Look, oh, c- come on, trust me, it'll be all right. Come on, Vince. Oh, go on
5: now. Okay, well, Vince is going to lead off as he's come across this kind of thing before. Hail the big white hunter, eh? Yeah, anyway, I suggest we go up line abreast. We'll cover more area that way. Alright, makes sense. All right, let's go do it then. You stay here, Dan. Keep ladies shut in. um... I won't be long.
0: What was that? It was me. Black as buggery under this bracken. Keep it down. Could be a thousand cats in here. Just don't talk about it. Here, fancy a nip? Dutch cottage. Hey,
4: now you're talking.
0: put it away. Alcohol and guns don't mix. A top to keep out the chill isn't going to hurt. Keep moving. I'll warm you up. Jesus! <laughs> I got it! You see that? I got it! Put your torch over there! Oh, bloody hell, Peter, you got an owl. <laughs> hey, what
5: are you firing at? It's all right, Vince. Some of us have just got itchy trigger fingers.
0: Hey, we're hunting tiger. Shoot first. Check for species afterwards, I say. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. yeah we'll, we'll be lucky to find anything after that. You just broadcast yourself to the whole valley. The cat's probably in Wales by now. Uh, yeah, I reckon Vince is right.
5: May as well turn it in. The cat could be over the Lee side and not heard us. Probably best we move out towards Barnes Fold. Do you think? Thicker cover that way, and it seems to have struck around Inglewide the most. Right. Okay. Hey, just remember what species I am.
0: Hey, don't worry about those. Maybe it'd be better if we broke our guns while we're walking. I don't know, Jeff. There's no telling when this cat could show. Dog's right. I ain't going to take any chances with it. Shh. Listen. There. Easy.
5: Wait till you see it. Christ! Don't shoot.
0: <laughs>
5: Dan, what the hell are you doing up here?
3: I hear a shot. Did you kill it?
5: You nearly got yourself killed.
3: Dad, did you?
5: No, no, it was nothing.
3: Come back with me, Dad. Now,
5: don't start again.
3: Please, you can't kill it. Mum, Ray, she won't let you.
5: Dan, if your mother was still here, you wouldn't care about it so much. When you own the farm, you'll see I was right. I
3: want the stupid farm. Yes,
5: you do. I'm doing this for you, Dan.
3: No, you're not. You're doing it for yourself.
5: That's not true.
3: It is true, and it is cruel. The cubs will be left alone, but you don't care, and I hate you. Now,
5: Dan, stop it. Stop it. Look, we'll... We'll talk about it later. Sometimes, Dan... Sometimes you have to do things you don't like. That's what it means to be a man. To be grown up. Be a man for me now, eh?
0: Go home.
3: Just a child, remember?
0: Dan, Dan, I didn't mean... Be going on, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, let's go.
3: Oh, I need your old Vince. She doesn't stand a chance against him. Look,
4: I wouldn't be so sure. You can't let them find her. They won't. Look, I'll let you into a secret. Apart from none of them being able to find their flies in the dark, let alone a wild animal, I've been leading them up the garden path for the last hour. The cat's lair is in the gorse above Fellside.
3: You've seen her? No,
4: I just found the den after you'd gone to school yesterday. Did you see the cops? Well, I didn't fancy exploring too much when I thought they might be catnapping. Oh, I could smell them, all right?
3: Oh, I knew you wouldn't hurt him.
4: Told you to trust me, didn't
3: I? Oh, I really want to see you, Vince. I want to see the cops. Oh, Danny,
4: boy, you're the one. Oh, look how torches here they come.
3: Oh, please, I've got to see right.
4: you. All right, all right, but uh, be quiet, all right? Jeff will shoot me if he finds out. Come on, keep it down. Hey, hey.
0: Vince? I can't see him. I thought he was here. It's the cat. What's the matter with you? It's just a fox. So which way? He was heading over Barnes Fold, so I guess we keep going in that direction. fox came from over there. Wouldn't Vince have spooked it if he'd gone that way? Aye, maybe. All right, let's split up.
5: You, Doug and Percy go out towards Fellside. Me and the others will carry on this way.
0: Ah, There's safety in numbers, Jeff. No, he's right. We'll cover more ground this way. And I, for one, don't want to have to do this again. Okay. We'll meet at the Crumble Home Road. Don't double
5: back whatever you do or we'll end up shooting each other. If you see it, call me on the mobile. And Pete, keep an eye out, all right? It's got to be up here somewhere.
4: I oh, see all the bones here. Oh, look, the are back and flattened. Ah, oh, perfect spot. You can't see it until you're on top of it. Oh. Yeah. Cat spraying rotting meat. <laughs> Quite a cocktail, eh? Stay there.
3: Vince? What does she comes back? Well,
4: I don't think she will now we've been here. Cubs must have grown up enough to go out with her. Uh, she's long gone, I think. Most a pity. A few traps lower down in the wood might get one of them, though. The wooden? Well, the thought crossed my mind. Why? I think of what a real-life British big cat would be worth, Dan. Bury all the rumours and doubts, wouldn't it? TV rights alone might buy me an house so I can get out from under your dad's nose for a few hours a day.
3: Yeah, but she's wild. Trapping is as bad as killing her. Well,
4: maybe if people saw one, it'd help them be protected. You never know.
3: I think they're better left, be. They've done all right up to now without us.
4: (sighs) You sound like your mother. She'd have liked the thought of cats up here. You know, I look at you and I see her.
3: You've never said that before.
4: Ah, well, I've thought it. Hey. Look at this. Your cat's left us a souvenir. Look at that. Old sheep's head. Probably one of ours. Anyone you recognise? <laughs> <laughs> I
3: think, I think. look at the eyes. Oh yeah.
4: Someone with a torch.
3: Look how dear it is! No, 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 don't! don't. <laughs>
5: And the police will come with the ambulance. Oh, yes. Yes, I'm sure he's dead. I, I didn't see him. Just the eyes. just saw the eyes. No, we're on the side of Beacon Fell. Just off the Lakehurst Road.
0: Jesus, poor Vince.
5: Yeah, they can all park there.
0: Thank God the kid wasn't hurt.
5: I'll send someone to meet them.
3: Just for a moment. As the sun came up, I thought I saw her among the trees. But I didn't say anything. She was mine to see. Vince got to be on TV after all. So maybe there'll be less people walking on the fells. Now they think there's panthers on the loose. It's funny, but in the 30 years since sighting started, there's never been a report of a big cat attacking a person. They know to keep away from us.
0: Read in Tooth and Claw by Simon Bovey, Jeff was played by Neil Dudgeon, Vince by Sean Dooley and Dan by Alex Slater. John Rowe played Peter and Philip Fox, Doug. The director was Mark Beebe.
2: That's hard to follow, so just as well we're coming to the close of the show. Again, thanks to Simon Bovey for granting us a special permission to hear the play. If you enjoyed it and want to hear more from Simon, his next one for Radio 4 is not on Big Cats, but he says it is on a big subject. It's scheduled for 20th October 2020 on BBC Radio 4 at 2.15pm. So good luck with that one, Simon. We are currently scouting for a future episode from part of North West England, just a bit south of the Ribble Valley, because we hope to do a feature on the reports of big cats in Greater Manchester. They've certainly been very compelling in the last few years, and we've even seen the subject of big cat sightings creep into the script of Coronation Street, which, as us Brits all know, is the world's longest running soap. For our next episode, we feature a guest from Essex. He watched a large black panther, perhaps a black leopard, in a field in Essex in mid-August, just gone. So a very recent account. As well as our interview, we'll hear the live recording he made on his phone describing events at the scene in the fading evening light. That was after he had snapped away taking a few photos. And he is one of our own because he's a loyal listener to this podcast. So it just goes to show it might happen to you, whether you want a sighting or not. Okay, time to wrap up episode 32. Thanks again to David, our guest, and thanks to everyone for listening and supporting the show as we enter our second year. Till next time, take care and bye for now.